Welcome to Sunday Morning Live Fellowship. We air live every Sunday morning. Now please turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11. But before we read our passage, last week we did some directional talking. We stated to look up. We said to set your mind on things above. Well, today we are still thinking directional. Today we want to discover how to make God our center, as opposed to making the center all that this world has to offer. This world offers a multitude of choices. New movies released every week. New YouTube videos every minute. New social media updates every second and a fresh set of Instagram images with every pull down to refresh gesture. So by default, we have allowed the world as our center. This is the age of the image, the age of the eye and the age of the ear. This ear eye tension poses massive challenges for anyone trying to keep God at the center. That's a huge challenge in our task today. So let's turn to our scripture, Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you. So as not to destroy you completely, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. I would like to use for a topic this morning, for God's sake. So what do we mean by saying we must make God our center? For one, let me ask you this. What is number one in your life? What is your highest priority? So much of what we put most of our focus on, it seems so harmless, fun, until we realize that every gaze upon or everything we set our mind on eventually will want something from us. Everything we make our center will make a demand on us. So what do our spectacles want from us? This, I think, is a huge reality that a lot of us fail to see. The truth is that whatever we make a priority provokes something in us in order to extract something from us. Our center asks for all sorts of things. Our time, our attention, our outrage, our lust, our affections, our money, even our votes. Every picture, every video, every virtual tweet brings before us needs, expectations, and desires. They're all asking for something in return. So what is God asking for in return? By being our center, does God want us to talk about what he does? Hmm. <sighs> I feel there is so much more to God than what he does. I feel there's so much more to God being our center than what he does. 
I don't even think God being our center means we talk about church. I, I, I don't want to talk about God's people or at the same time, please don't think that God is not even interested in his people and his church. So as we consider making God our center, the question becomes, is God for us or is he for himself? Someone is already saying, well, of course God is for us. Romans 8 and 31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, I know that God is for us, but right now we are just focusing on God as center not focusing on people, not even focusing on the church, not even focusing on what God does. So let's look at our text one more time. God is charging his people for their rebelliousness, their corruption and their hard heartedness and necks of steel. But God relents in his judgment and he does so for a particular reason. And that's expressed in verses nine through 11. These are the verses that cause me to think and even ask the question, is God for us or is God for himself? Over and over we hear, for my name's sake, for my own sake, for my own sake. How should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give it to another. It sounds like God is for God, unmistakably. God is God-centered. It sounds like uppermost in God's affection is himself. But then we have to look at the other side. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. God is angry, but he is deferring his anger. He's not cutting the people off, which tells us God is for his people. So what's the relationship between God being God-centered and God being for his people? I think the answer is that God must be at the center of our being, at the center of his people, and at the center of his church. If you put anything else in the center of your being where God belongs, even if it's a church or ministry, your center will not hold what's in your center. Family, ministry, work, entertainment, leisure. I know these things are not bad but must never exist where God belongs. God enhances his own reputation. He demands to be praised. He makes a name for himself at every turn. He is angry when he is ignored or dishonored. He puts himself forward as the wisest and best of beings. He says that there is no treasure above him. He is relentlessly God-exalting. Look at Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. God created us for his glory. It reads, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and 
made. So we were created to reflect, enhance, and magnify the glory of God. Now, when I say the word magnified, let me make the distinction between a telescope and a microscope. When we say magnify, you could mean to make something small look big. That's not what we mean when we magnify God. But if you use your heart like a telescope, you don't try to make something small look big. You try to make something unimaginably big look like what it really is. That's what it means to magnify God. We were created to magnify God like a telescope, not like a microscope. Jeremiah 13 and 11. I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. He chose them and made them cling to him so that they might be his glory. Psalms 106, 7, and 8. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He saved them for his name's sake. Why did Jesus come into the world? Romans 15, 7 and 8. Christ came a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And why is Jesus coming back a second time? 2 Thessalonians 1 and 10. He came on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Jesus is coming back to be marveled at. That's why he's coming. He's coming back to be glorified. Hallelujah. God exalts himself continually. Everything he does is to display his glory and to preserve his honor as a loving and good God. Now someone is asking, doesn't 1 Corinthians 13 and 5 say, Love does not insist on its own way. And you are telling us that God seeks his own glory in everything he does? How can God be a God of love if he is so self-exalting? Well, I'm glad you asked. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their spouses. Readers praising their favorite authors. Joggers praising the countryside. Athletes praising their favorite game. Praise of weather. Praise of food. Praise of art. Praise of actors, animals, colleagues, countries, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, even politicians. We praise what we delight to do and what we hold as value. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes our enjoyment. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. In other words, 
genuine heartfelt praise is the consummation and completion of our delight in God. Praise is the completion of our enjoyment and that enjoyment is not complete until it is expressed. God completes the delight that we have when we praise his perfections. Now think about this. God gives us his best. And what is his best? God is best. There's no greater beauty, no greater power, no greater wisdom, no greater love, no greater goodness, no greater justice, no greater anything good and beautiful in the universe than God himself. If he were to give you all the health, all the wealth, and all the prosperity minus himself, we would have nothing. He must give us himself so we can enjoy him and love him to our fullest. God being eager for you to praise him is love and the essence of a self-exaltation. God is the one being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is the most loving act. If you and I tried to imitate this, yeah, it would be sin. That's exactly what Satan tempted Adam and Eve to do. You will be like God, Satan told them. Independent, able to decide for yourselves what is good and evil. You will be able to put yourself forward as worthy of admiration. Beloved, God is in a class all by himself. He is God. He is infinitely glorious. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So what does this mean? It means first that all the divine energy that goes into upholding and displaying the glory of God also goes into upholding the joy of his people because you having joy is the highest expression of God's glory and worth in your life. He is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. I believe that's from C.S. Lewis. Didn't Nehemiah, and this other is from uh, Jonathan Edwards. Didn't Nehemiah 8 and 10 say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now here's the second implication. The first one was that God is most magnified when you are most satisfied in him. Therefore, if you are indifferent to you being satisfied in God, it is sin. Ah, so we are talking about keeping God at our center for God's sake. <laughs> so I guess the answer is, to worship more. Oh, can we worship the worship experience and turn the worship of God around so that we are being entertained and exalting ourselves as worship leaders? Church, is God at the center or are our experiences about God the center? My, 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 my. How do we avoid the danger of worshiping the worship 
experience. Our flesh and the devil are so against authentic, intimate communion with the living God. We must make sure we are getting through the church service, through the prayer service, through the worship service to experience God. Is God at the center of our church experience? Or is it duty and obligation or because this is where I belong? This is where my people belong. Then I'm a member here and connected to the people here. Or am I connected to God? Am I here because there is nothing in the world that satisfies my soul the way God does? And in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Now, at this point, some may be content to say, okay, okay, thank you for pointing that out. I'm going to get it together. We know why God does what he does. But some others, including myself, you want to press even deeper. What does it mean that God does everything for his glory and for his namesake and for his praise? Can we unpack the meaning of God's God-centeredness any further? First, let's look at a few more points. The glory of God includes the manifestation or display of God's attributes and perfections. God's wisdom and power and justice and mercy, faithfulness and majesty are revealed in his acts of creation, providence, and redemption. I got to say that again. God's wisdom and power and justice and mercy and faithfulness and majesty are revealed in his acts of creation, providence, and redemption. But the second point is God's glory is more than a display. It also includes the creaturely, that which he created, being knowledgeable of what results from the display. In other words, God's got to have an audience for the manifestation of his perfections and the knowledge of the audience is part of the glory that we know. If God's glory isn't known, then his purpose in creation is incomplete. Third, not just the display of his perfections and not just the creaturely knowledge of those perfections, number three, but the glory of God also must include creaturely love and delight in his perfections. It's not enough for us to know that God is wise. It's not enough to know that God is all powerful and faithful and just. God wants us to taste it. He wants us to experience him. We must love and delight in God's perfections the same way he does. Display of divine perfections. Knowledge of divine perfections. Love for and delight in divine perfections. All of these include, are included in the glorification of God. God communicates his fullness to his creatures. God has invited us to participate in his fullness through his son, Jesus Christ. So that the fullness of God's own knowledge, love, joy, comes to exist in us 
Through Jesus, we have become partakers of God's divine nature. And this truth that God is God-centered and therefore does everything that he does in order to glorify himself by sharing the riches and fullness of his divine life with us. This is good news and an anchor in this crazy world. This God-centeredness of God is the very foundation and center of our being because God will seek and have his glory. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I invite you to do so now. Say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have done many things that don't please you. I have lived my life for myself only. I am sorry and I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give it to you from this day forward. Help me to live every day for you in a way that pleases you. If you prayed that simple prayer with me or you have questions regarding salvation, please feel free to call me at 231-349-1046. If you prayed this simple prayer with me, please call me as we can discuss with you the first steps of salvation. God bless you.